0: following podcast contains information and opinions that are solely the views of the hosts and guests and are not intended to represent employers, organizations, or other entities with which the participants may be affiliated or associated. We hope you enjoy Military Historians or People Too.
1: Yeah, Thank you. I, I appreciate yeah. the invitation. You know, you've done it with Beth and Karen and these other people who've been on the project. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm glad to glad to do it.
2: Yeah, this no, is going to be. We, uh, it's
0: be we good. thought of you early on uh, because of you know really the World War II project and, and everything, and because uh, Brian has used it in his classes before uh, doing the transcriptions. Oh, you did that
2: phase the uh, earlier. Yeah. I yeah, was in Brian the yeah, did I did that. the zoo. I did the Zooniverse um, with a class of I don't know, there were probably 30, 32 students in there, and I made each of them do, I don't know, 10 transcriptions, I think.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. It, did it was it
2: good? <laughs> oh yeah, it was great. It was, it was yeah, it was really good. Um, no problem at all. Everything was pretty smooth. Um, and then what made you kind of pop up on our radar again, I think, is Bill was going to use it for his class and went to Zooniverse and it was gone. And I was like, oh, I think I saw an email where yeah, they
0: finished. Yeah, yeah it's now
2: oh. it's now being hosted, um, you know, at Virginia Tech.
1: Well, the funny thing is, so there have other been a few other professors. I bet had a few of her students doing it, uh, but uh, there was a professor in the University of Missouri who was here, Bradley Nichols, who does German history. Yeah. Um, okay so he had students doing it and he laughed and he was he was really bummed that it was over so he actually we opened it up for a brief period of time just so his students could do it um and uh I, because he had a, a chunk of his class organized around him because it went so so well but I mean I, I know that other professors have contributed in that way but um, unless they told me about it I you know i didn't know
2: yeah yeah That's no uh, no it, it was it was a good project and I'm, I'm glad that uh that students were able to do it so uh um we usually do a uh introduction before you get on but uh because of my problems today you get to hear my introduction of you
0: uh, okay. klaus Klauswitz said there would be friction in the measure yes. of our genius. Yep. right is and how and well it's your ability,
2: it is your ability <laughs> to deal friction. with friction so yeah. uh so I'm gonna I'm gonna get into the interview today and I watched some YouTube videos to see how to correct correctly pronounce your name and people appear to call you Gitry.
1: Gittry. Yeah.
2: Gittry. There you go. All right. Yeah, well okay. So Ed Gittry is assistant professor of history at Virginia Tech University. He joined Virginia Tech as a visiting instructor in 2014 and went tenure track in 2017. Before joining Virginia Tech, he was an instructor at Seattle University and a postdoctoral fellow at the Institute for Advanced Studies in Culture at the University of Virginia. Ed received his B.A. at the University of Michigan, an M.A. in Theological Studies from, am I saying this right, Evangel University?
1: Evangel University. Evangel University. That's what he became, yeah.
2: in, In Springfield, Missouri and an MA in history from the University of Manchester in the UK, and then finally a PhD in history at Rutgers University. Ed is the director of the American Soldier in World War II project, a crowdsourcing project that has led to the transcription and digitization of thousands of pages of World War II soldiers' commentaries on their war experiences. Under Ed's direction, the project has received multiple grants from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Perhaps most impressively, The project has been made possible by the commitment of more than one million volunteers from around the globe. Uh, This project has blown up on the Internet, has been discussed in multiple publications, including Stripes and The Washington Post. In addition to his work with the American soldier, Ed is completing two books, um, one, Breaking the Chain, World War II and the Battle over White Supremacy, and a second, The Lonely Crowd, David Reisman, Jr. and America's Conformity. Um, Ed has presented and published his work widely, and it is safe to say that he is changing our conceptions of history and how it is done in the digital age. So we are really uh, happy to to have Ed with us today. Well,
1: Thank you uh, so much. I I appreciate that generous introduction. I I should make one small correction, which is that uh, there are around 7200 volunteers who transcribed all these documents four times so there was a quarter million submissions in total which still impressive don't don't Not do paid. that
2: ed don't downplay your accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. all right then take, take, take the higher betting average man. take the higher <laughs> betting average always go with the higher betting average.
2: <laughs> all right so we'll 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 be clear there he's he's being very humble um uh thousands of volunteers that, uh, that, that put work into this project. And uh, I'm happy to say that my students of Georgia Southern were among those volunteers and it was a, a really good experience for them. So uh, I've
0: seen this project in, in action. My students are using it right now. I, I think I'd I think I emailed you Ed before, but my war and society class and also my American military history course are using it right now to write re- little research papers.
1: From. Now, so how are, how are they using it? Are they um, are they using are using any of the curriculum, or is it all just having them go find material in the? I'm, in ha-
0: the... I'm having them select uh, at least like three tags, okay, and then go through and see what they can find. Okay, um, yeah, I, I'm trying to keep it simple this first time, mm-hmm. and so they used one of your descriptions, uh, say it's gender or race or. Uh, healthcare, combat, whatever, and then use those essays as a platform and then go from there searching and, and doing that. Um, Perfect. I can't, I, I can't do the SPSS stuff and all that. I just, it, oh
1: right? yeah. No, no. Wow.
0: <laughs> I mean, but that's cool though, that that's, that you can probably
1: use that that way, right? Yeah. And Cause yeah. Um, even for social scientists, yeah the data was really inaccessible because it was just as an ASCII file and you had to do a lot of work just to parse it. And many people would have to do it manually, which was so much labor. But now because of, of what you can do with scripting and I had some great people at the University of Virginia, at the Biocomplexity Institute who did that. I mean, one of the things, so the front end is about the, the soldier's experience and that those firsthand accounts, but. My background is also in intellectual history, the uh, history of interdisciplinarity, social behavioral sciences. So, for me, it was I, then the back end, I'm just as interested in the survey itself, survey data itself and, and getting it out there, making it accessible for you know, the public and, and for scholars um, who really have not been able to use it. Um, I have a colleague here who does military sociology, and he just retired. Uh, and he knows the data really well. And he's he manually uh, kind of resurrected a couple of surveys, but that's all because of how much labor is involved when you do that. So he's super excited to have just all the surveys all at one time.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's really yeah, it's, remarkable. But yeah, yeah, so what they're doing is basically focusing on the ex- experiences, you know, and, and viewpoints and, and things like that. So, uh, you know, it, it was kind of, to me, it was just as much for me as it was for the students as an introductory exercise to the project. And then, you know, next time around, you know, maybe get a little more deep, you know, do a little more as we learn more about how it's structured and everything. But yeah. It seems pretty straightforward. I mean, you know, as much as possible, it's, it's really remarkable. I mean, I, I just can't imagine what it took to even begin to put all that stuff together.
1: Well, I thought it was going to kill me.
0: Yeah,
2: we're <laughs> yeah. we we're going to talk about that. We're going to get you to tell us all about, um, you know. How yeah, I'm, I'm getting of ahead of Brian's
0: happened. cheat sheet. Right so, yeah, <laughs>
2: so, but, you know, where we want to start is where you started. So yeah. tell us where you're from. You know, what kind of house did you grow up in? Grow up in what did your parents do? Um, yeah. How did you get into history?
1: So I was raised in northern Michigan. My family moved around uh, quite a bit um i don't come from an academic background uh kind of a more of a working class background in northern michigan uh i i kind i encountered or i became interested in history in a way that i didn't realize at the time that would prepare me uh but there are, are a couple of forts near where i grew up in northern michigan uh during the french and indian wars and i visited them as kids as a, as a kid and I remember um having this really distinct moment as a child visiting one of the forts there on, on I think it was on Fort Michel on the island. Or that one is of a the cool forts. place. That's oh, a remarkable place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. You- so you have the context here yeah. so i was a kid and i went into um one of the buildings and uh there was a, a, a registry of soldiers french soldiers who had been stationed there had come through were stationed there and it had their heights oh. and i was fascinated because they were so short yeah now the context for why i was uh, so fascinated by that is i am kind of the runt of my family. I have three older brothers and a younger sister. So here I am at the fort and I'm, I'm looking at the names and they're like, you know, five, five, three, five, two. And I was like, I, I don't know. It just really made this deep impression on me, but it did make me curious. It was like, why, why are they shorter? Like, so that was like my first historical, I think, research question, if it had been a research question, but certainly just out of curiosity. And, uh, so that's where it began. I went to the university of Michigan. I actually started off in engineering. The, yeah. whoever was my advisor from high school just did not do a good job. Cause like looking back, it was so clear like this, this guy should be in the humanities and history, but I had an older brother who, uh, both of my older, two of my older brothers are really into kind of science and engineering, and so I start off in engineering, and I just happened to take one history class my first semester, and I was hooked. I mean, the professor was uh, uh, just amazing and an orator, and uh, I I switched like the second semester and just took as many classes as I could. And of course, University of Michigan has such an amazing history department. yeah you remember
0: what the class was? What the topic was?
1: It was just the survey. It was just the, the survey. Wow. It was just the survey. And, um, you know, it was a huge lecture. When, when you still had huge lecture classes for in history, um, th- th- that, was the, that was it. His, he was just an orator. And um, so it took a little while to get out of engineering. Uh, but I knew after that first semester, I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong school here. And uh, I just fell in love. Uh, with it, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't come from an academic background, and the first time I even thought about becoming a professor was at the very end of my time at Michigan, where my advisor of my honors thesis kind of planted the seams, like, have you ever thought about going on to graduate school? Weren't weren't
2: Uh, those good days back when you could, with a good conscience, ask a a student that question?
1: (laughs) 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 Definitely, yeah, now you would be like, ah! <laughs> uh, a I, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I it, I it was it took a while for me to to get into to graduate school and 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 do some other things first and went to University of Manchester overseas and then had had an amazing experience at Rutgers, uh, which is another awesome history so, department. So-
2: So two questions. First, uh, I'll do the Manchester thing. So how do you decide I'm going to get the MA in history and I'm going to do it in the UK?
1: Okay, so I like so many other students, I I tried a number of programs. One, I think it was one particular year. I don't know if it was multiple years um, and wasn't terribly successful. Uh, And I I. I don't know quite what had planted this seed, but I I wanted to make myself more attractive. And I knew that that students who had MAs um, uh, would be more attractive. And when I applied, it was before the UK system had really started to adopt the American fees uh, system. And so it was by today's standards, even I could not afford now to go to the University of Manchester, I'm sure. Um, because it's so much more expensive, so it was fairly reasonable to 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 do an MA in one year there, and it and it did lead to uh, the the offer from Rutgers University.
2: Yeah. Um, now, in your background, you've got that uh, degree in theology as well. And when I was uh, googling you last night, I, I found someone with your name who was doing some sort of ministry at the University of Chicago. Is that you?
1: Yeah, yes, that is.
2: <laughs> you can't was, hide from me. Don't don't <laughs> skim over these. Wow, Im- Ryan eat- Brian is our research department and he's, he's, <laughs> getting, cracked. So,
0: he's getting cracked up. So wow. that's, I mean,
2: so that's, uh, you know, that's pretty interesting. I mean, you, you were, you know, on a completely different track and then decided to, to take the history route. I mean, if you don't yeah. mind getting too
1: personal, what happened there? Why did you, <laughs> what happened to you? So that, Oh, you did some deep diving. Um, So when I was at the University of Michigan, I was involved with uh, 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 an organization, a Christian organization. They're a student group. And um, it just made a lot of friends and had a great time. And because I love studying so much, I, again, when my advisor suggested going to grad school in history, that was just such a foreign idea. Uh, So I went to, I got into seminary, I went to seminary a lot easier to get into seminary um, than it is into a PhD program. But even then, I mean, I, when I was in seminary, I loved history. So I did religious history. Um, and when I was working at the University of Chicago with the same, it was Kyle for the same uh, ministry, uh, we did like book clubs. Like I, I basically did a lot of kind of more academic things because I was at the University of Chicago. Right. Uh but it was only a few years, you know, and at that time I was going to like the bookstore every week and reading religious history. Uh, and then I just realized, you know, I, I, I should become a historian. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's who I am. And, uh, and that's when I made the, the, the leap over. But again, because I had done even in, in seminary so much religious history, it was not, it wasn't a, a radical reorientation. So when I was at the University of Manchester. Well, you probably know because of your research. <laughs> um, I, it was a it was a cultural history program, and I did uh, something on a Welsh revi- a revival in Wales earlier in the twentieth century, and kind of combined religious history with uh, with um, with cultural history.
2: Gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you're in good company because I uh, I don't think I've ever said this on the show before, but uh, I am I'm also a minister. Um, but uh, my my uh, my credentials come from the Universal Life Church online.
0: <laughs> Full disclosure: I, I am an ordained minister in the the Church of the Latter Day Dude. So i have a I have a Big Lebowski ordained thing as yeah. well so we got a good trifecta we got yeah. a good thing going I, here i man. did perform a
2: wedding ceremony in uh outside of dallas texas so uh i'm, I'm on the books in dallas uh <laughs> well
1: so i did perform when i was um at the University of chicago i did perform one wedding and they're still married so <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was like a zero a hundred like what was i you know there was a lot yeah. riding in that one wedding <laughs> no i i you know i so i'm from michigan and i loved the university of chicago and i had a i had a really good time i was living in Southside chicago i had a brother living there and um so it was very unique because i i wasn't in a i wasn't a pastor of a local church right basically i felt like i was um just you know working at the university of chicago with students and part really part of the culture at the university of chicago which is you know um, has such a rich history in the humanities and history All right. well,
0: that's, real quick, that, uh, go for it, uh, Manchester, uh, city or United.
1: I am not, if this is recorded, I am not going there. <laughs> <laughs> not going to come in, huh? <laughs> in the you know, field. I mean, Manchester city is obviously for people who are living there, the home team, uh, you know, Manchester is just a, it's a different, completely different, uh, 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 audience in so many different ways oh well, united so I, is,
0: is the evil empire so you know it
1: is it is and, and it was there too in fact i have i never went to any of the games but none of my my friends did either um but my my closest encounter with with uh with the stadium manchester where manchester plays is um i was i went to, i think i was going to a museum and i didn't know that around um around games that they changed the whole bus system and schedule. So all I remember I was fairly close. I wasn't near the stadium and I was waiting forever for a bus. And, and I was stuck. I think it like walked back part of the way home. And I was so, I was so angry. I was like, <laughs> that was the closest. That was the closest I actually got to, uh, to going to a game in person. Well, we're, uh, we're glad, glad to know that you, you, when
0: you were there, you thoroughly embraced yourself and, and embraced yourself to the local culture. Um, oh, I did.
1: I did. It's, it's, a, it's a unusual place. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's yeah. great.
0: So how did you get, so uh, one, how, why Rutgers? And then what, what, how did you choose what to do there?
1: Uh, so you know, Rutgers has such a great intellectual and cultural history program. Um, I ended up working with Jackson Lears, who's a primarily 19th but 19th and 20th century intellectual historian. And uh, he's, you know, he's a little different. they in the, if you look at the faculty at, at Rutgers the two primary strengths are in women and gender history and African-American history. So uh, here I am at the University of Manchester. I'm looking at graduate programs and um, I knew of Jackson Lears' work and knew it was a really good program. And, you know, I applied, I, I got there And when I got there, I did not realize uh, how significant those two fields were there. And I just remember being at an orientation party and talking to to new students about their project and their research. I was like, where am I? (laughs) Because at that point I, I wanted to do something that was like a combination of religious and intellectual history. And you, like nobody else was doing any religious history, anything like that but I think it intrigued uh, my, uh, Jackson, who became my advisor and, and good friend. So that's how I ended up, and, and I got funding. That's yeah. Yeah, that goes without saying uh, that you need to, to, to have funding. Is that more the more only way,
0: place you, you applied?
1: No, I applied um, at Oxford uh, because I was tempted to stay. I mean, I knew the difficulty of jumping after a PhD, but uh, there wasn't any funding. Uh, so, you know, that was nice to get that acceptance, but with no funding, that was not possible. Uh, University of Southern California, I got in, I applied to a a few other schools, but it was, it was those three that I got accepted into. And, uh, and yeah, USC, I think when I accepted Rutgers, I hadn't gotten the funding yet. So it was, it was pretty easy choice. (laughs) Know where the money is. I I got funding and, and I'm a, a great, uh, historian. Yeah, so I, you know, I I went through pretty quickly at Rutgers. Uh, I finished in 2008, so it was five years, and it was New Jersey was hit really early on in the recession. So my whole career has been defined by the Great Recession. Uh, so it took me a long time. My my wife is also a historian, for me to to get on the tenure track. And fingers crossed if all goes well, I, I should get it by the end of next spring. We'll see. Yeah,
0: I, but Ed, I don't know. I mean, you, you seem to have a dodgy file you know, here. I mean, you know, this, this, this American soldier in World War II project, I mean, yeah, you know, it's a little, little fluffy, I, I don't I, Oh My gosh, you, 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 you're not gonna have any problem. I mean, this thing's amazing. It's remarkable. Yeah. How did you even come up with this? I mean, I'm, I'm already yeah. sensing, I, I wanna know where the leap is from the intellectual history, cultural back yeah. to jumping in to, to this pool.
1: Yeah, uh, there was, uh, so Jackson Lears is a cultural historian and he does like big theme topics. So he has a book on, uh, on, the, on gambling and chance and risk. Uh, he does more kind of conceptual work And uh, so that was one of the things that really attracted to me to him as an intellectual historian. And I had this grand idea that I was going to do a dissertation, I did do a dissertation on mid-century boredom and conformity. So ridiculously broad, like boredom, okay, Uh, (laughs) who like Somebody should have stopped me. Like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a black hole, you idiot. No. Uh, but he, you know, he, he really liked the topic. And um, so what happened was while I was doing the research, uh, I kept on encountering veterans as protagonists. So uh, the man in the gray flannel suit, you know, the protagonist is a, is a veteran so I knew while doing my dissertation that I needed to, to do something about World War II, uh, if I'm gonna do some, uh, a topic on the 1950s. And I kind, I, I kind of skipped a little bit World War II because I just didn't have time to fully immerse myself. But at that, at that point, I just knew I, I had this kind of intellectual relationship to, to the status and the person of the veteran just found myself wrestling with the readjustment from World War II and after, just the complications and and, and, and what that was like for so many people. Uh, So afterwards, as you mentioned, I went to the University of Virginia and that institute is really focused on sociology and in religion. And uh, that's where I was kind of doing work hardcore kind of, traditional intellectual history and I was doing stuff on psychoanalysis and the interdisciplinary social and behavioral sciences. Um and so that's why the Reesman book, which might be like a third book down the future, in the future, was so interesting because it is it is out of this movement called the Culture and Personality Movement. Uh, so but toward my the end of my time uh is when I really started to make the shift because I was like, I can't ignore World War II. I've got to immerse myself. And I just happened to take a trip up to the National Archives. And uh, this was in the spring of 2009. So my, uh, I guess it was my first year. Uh, I, uh, I knew about the survey program because I was doing the history of the interdisciplinary social and behavioral sciences. I knew about Samuel Stouffer who le- led the program. Uh, and I just, there was a, a reference to, and I think it was in the catalog of the National Archives about these surveys. And I was like, well, uh, I hadn't seen any of them in the literature where any other historian had used the, the, the sources that became the basis of the project. I even contacted Christopher Loss, who has written about education in the GI. And I said, you know, have you seen these? And he like a lot of other scholars could rely on the published materials, either the four volumes that came after or on what the soldier thinks the, the periodical that the, this research branch produced. So I go there and it, it was such a, an important day in my life. It was the spring in April and um, I, I only had a few hours. My family was with me uh, at that point I only, my firstborn had been born, but not my second uh, son. And so we were staying with friends, I had a few hours and I was like, I've got to make the most of it. And I went in to the archives, to the reading room, ordered up like near the end of my time there, a couple of boxes, a few boxes of microfilm reel that had these like really nondescript labels about the surveys. And I just, I still remember sitting at the machine and put, putting the first reel on the reader, as I say, I to other people, I hate microfilm, like I hate it with a passion. It just like sucks the life out of me. Um, and uh, but I was determined. I was like, I, I need to, I need to see what's here. And within moments of starting to read what was on the microfilm reels, I I was mesmerized um because it was just it was so clear to me that the responses were candid and raw and and they and I knew I think I knew or I found out later that they had been promised multiple multiple ways anonymity yeah. and it was it was just so clear to me that they <laughs> they really took that to heart so it was the combination of of just reading some of those and knowing just seeing right away how honest they were they were personal. And this is the thing for me, my my attraction to World War II and thinking through and as a historian is I'm not an operations historian. Um, I don't come from that background, but just that human experience. Yeah. And that's just what, you know, just comes through. So I, I put the first one on. I went through a couple of them, but I think probably midway I got to a series of reels. I didn't quite know what I had hit upon initially, but they were from African-American soldiers who were serving. And that right there was really the seed for, for yeah. what we have right now. Uh, it was just so moving to, 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 to read one after another, these responses from the Black soldiers articulating their, you know, their commitment to democracy, these principles for freedom, and the frustration they felt of being in a segregated army. Um, And just like the the range of arguments they were using um, for integration and against segregation. So I had a little point and shoot camera with me and and I just started taking pictures of the microfilm screen one after another. I was like, I'm just gonna get as many as I can and and I'll transcribe later. So I I think I probably captured three, 400 images and went home and later uh, started transcribing and I knew. Uh, So I knew I had something special and I was gonna use it, but it it wasn't until I got to Virginia Tech in 2014 that I realized that I could um, take an idea that I had when I first encountered the documents and make it a reality which was it's like these need to be out in the public yeah i mean so kurt uh, peeler who was is on the advisory board you guys know
2: yeah
1: he actually said to me he he sent a graduate student to the national archives to find these responses and couldn't <laughs> um because they're so hard to find and in large part because of just how the records were accessioned by the National Archives right after the war. These got separated because they didn't go immediately to, they stayed with the army for a while, they didn't go immediately to the National Archives. And so you really have to look to find these in the the catalog. Uh, So I looked and looked and looked, are there any copies? Has anybody done anything? And I couldn't find any trace of anybody having used them, let alone you know copying the the collection. Yeah. I just you knew I was like, this is this is an amazing, uh, this could be an amazing project to get these out of the public.
2: And so obviously that, that's gonna become the American Soldier in World War II project. And you know, as someone who has a a very you know, this this podcast pushes our um, you know technological abilities. So how Do you put this thing together? I mean, I imagine you've got web designers, you've got IT people, you've got people whose titles I don't even know exist. So (laughs) like, I mean, it's just, I imagine that it was a a pretty long process and an expensive process um, going from that day where you find all these amazing documents to what you have now where I can go through and and find the stuff online.
1: Yes. Uh, So I got here in 2014 at Virginia Tech and uh, two things happened um, in parallel. One was uh, there was a historian here who had passed away a couple of years, maybe just the year before, but I think a couple of years before I arrived, who had been here for a long time and taught World War II. And uh, so my wife got the tenure track position, and I came in and interviewed for a spousal hire. That went well, and people were. At, I was working a lot with on veterans at that time, and there was a there was and that was attractive. So I I get to campus, and the undergraduate director, uh, undergraduate studies director, said, you know, can you teach World War II? And, uh, why well, yes,
0: yes, I can. Yeah. As a matter
1: of fact, <laughs> uh, so it, it was, it was really last minute. So at Seattle university, I did do a world war II class, but it was in international studies and it was war and post-war. It was like a really broad, uh, course, but I said, okay, I'll do it. And, uh, cause I'm a visiting assistant professor and I, I need to make people happy. I'll uh,
2: park your car if you want.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was really thrown into the deep end. I mean, I knew, I mean, I, I was kind of taken aback even during my interview when I came to campus, because I did not know about the military history for Virginia Tech. When I was in Michigan in the night, in the 1990s, uh, it was all about football. If you knew about Virginia Tech, you, it was about football.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's all I knew. So I get to campus and I see all these cadets marching around and, but, the Department of History is really close to where all the cadets are living and, and, and training. So I was sort of in the deep end because I, I had civilians in my World War II classes who some knew almost nothing, very little, others were kind of history buffs, and then I had cadets. Um, and that was really a mixture too. And boy, did I, sw- I sweat uh, before a number of my classes. So, I started teaching World War II immediately in that first year, I think it was. Simultaneously, I was really fortunate because a couple of my colleagues were in the working in the digital humanities. So Paul Quigley, who's a Civil War historian, had this project mapping the 4th of July. And he had collaborated with Kurt Luther, professor in computer science, who, who I worked with. And I'll get back to that in a moment. And then also, um, Lidale uh, uh, Winling, who's also in the, in the history department, was collaborating with people, uh, with folks over in Richmond at the Digital Scholars Lab there on another digital project, and that's the, the redlining project. Lots of people know about his redlining project, which was to digitize maps of, of um, segregated cities using redlining. So I, I knew that these were going on. I, I talked to them. I had no background at that point in the digital humanities or history. And I just I was like, if there's any place to do this, it is here at Virginia Tech, because we got you got the military tradition um, as well as the core there. You also have the, 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 the tech side. And so I think it was my first year uh, is, when we, I just started to imagine, I, I didn't know how to do transcribing or any of that. So I actually teamed up with Kurt Peeler at FSU. Yeah. So He was having his students transcribe letters in the collection he has at the Institute At yeah. in Florida State. And I was like, okay, so let's make a deal. <laughs> so I will have my World War II students transcribe documents because I mean, I, I, for me, working with primary sources is so important. I was like, this is gonna be a great opportunity to expose them to the firsthand experience of soldiers. Um, and I get to learn, I can learn how to use a Mecca and scripto. And so we did that. And the idea was that I, after I started, after I learned was I got two of the reels digitized from the National Archives and we used a Mecca. And I mentioned Kurt Luther, he was working on uh, a prototype for a plugin for Omeka. Now, Omeka is a platform used um, a lot for, for different purposes, but one is to transcribe documents. And I just was like, hey, can you let me in on this? Uh, can I do like some beta testing? And he was gracious enough to, to let me do that. So I basically used the model that Paul Quigley and he had created for mapping the 4th of July. And we and that's what, where things got started. So we did prototyping. And I I knew from the reaction of my students during the early phase that this, this had real promise because I saw their reaction to transcribing and how much it impacted them. And that gave me a lot of confidence. It was like I knew I had I, I knew that this would be, um, these are were amazing materials, but then to, to have that validated by students. Was super important, but it, you know, it took multiple years. We, I applied in 2016 and got the first planning grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities in 2017, and that opened up a lot of doors. Yeah, it did. That was super important to to have gotten that original planning grant, and uh, it was during that planning year when I learned about Zooniverse. I was on a NEH panel. And I was like, oh, what is this? Because again, I'm, I'm new to this. I didn't know uh, about citizen science projects and how vast that universe is. So there, I think there was probably, a, when I was introduced, maybe at that point, 1.8 million uh, members that used Zooniverse and uh, to contribute to science research. And they the, the platform was expanding and there were a couple of military history projects one measuring the Anzacs, another one uh, uh, based in the UK. And so that's what we, so we switched out of Omeka to Zooniverse and that just really just opened things up. You know, because we knew during that planning year that Omeka served a good purpose, but if we wanted to scale up, we needed a larger, we needed a platform that could accommodate and attract much broader audience. Yeah, but there were people from the UK, South Africa, all over the world, who came and and contributed as well as students. My students continue to transcribe themselves.
2: And you know, I I found it because if if memory serves, you you put out something on HNet, right? Like you put out a you advertised, right? Yeah. And you know, just going through my morning emails, I I clicked. I was like, oh. I'm going to be teaching World War II. That looks interesting, um, and yeah. so uh, you know, sometimes those emails you you throw out there end up uh, having an impact because it looks like I wasn't the only person that found it.
1: <laughs> no, well, another key figure in the early stages uh, was Amanda French, who a state she was part of the advisory board in the original grant, and she uh, she helped early on with kind of. Bringing together and building up a community around the digital humanities, and Amanda French is kind of fearless. Like she knows everybody, she just would like just throw out idea after idea, and uh, and everybody knows her. So she was the one who kind of just broadened my vision to help me to just to see how we could engage people um, well beyond Virginia Tech and the wider community. So I give a lot of credit to, to Amanda, who's just amazing.
2: So we're, we're going to take a break in just a second, which is um, not a real break. We we just kind of say, Hey, if you want to go get a a drink or go to the restroom, go for it. Um, But before we do that, um, you know, when you, you mentioned that if all goes well, you're going to be tenured and, I I had a question about that process because, you know, we at Georgia Southern, we consolidated with another university earlier and we had to redo our uh, promotion and and tenure standards. And one of the things that we struggle with a little bit was what to do with public history. Um, You know, how do you how do you evaluate uh, exhibits? Um, And, you know, that we even have someone that does cultural uh, heritage tourism. And so if you Uh develop if you develop a walking tour, you know, how do we evaluate that kind of stuff? So were there any snags when you started? I mean, obviously what you've done is a, a contribution and no one would would dare say that it's not, but did they, yeah. they have to rework things in order to, to recognize that?
1: Yeah, that, so when I first came in 2014, um, you know, these projects projects were going on, uh, Virginia, the, the department had kind of a history of the digital humanities early on um, with a reader. And uh, Jamestown's project uh, sort of had a history, but so, and everybody really loves digital history. But in private, some of people are like, "Well, you're going to do a book, right?" While doing <laughs> digital history, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. right? As that was like a side project. Um, always
0: one of those people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what happened was, you know, I had that planning grant. That was that was good, but. Basically, around the time that I got the implementation grant, it became real. Like, I, there is no way with the project of this scope that I could do both simultaneously. Right. There was so much goodwill for digital history. And we also had a, a, an oral and public history program. We do have that. Uh, it became clear to me that you there had to be things administratively that had to change. And so the department recognized, kind of finally, took the plunge, and said, "Okay, you know this is part of our identity," and uh, it was just really clear that our PNT guidelines had to change. And I was fortunate that uh, fairly early on, the ball started to roll in the uh, when I got the implementation grant to make those changes. And um, I don't know if there's another R one that. A history department that has fully embraced but the way that our pnt guidelines are written if it's not written as though there's like the traditional track and then there's like this other track right so we, i felt much more confident when we made when the department made those revisions to accept a large project and we they built the department built in like review and in different ways to kind of think about large digital projects really is just a different form in parallel with the monograph. Yeah. So that's why I think I'm going to be okay.
2: Um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think you're fine. It's just, you know, we, so, you know, like Bill jokingly said, you know, you're going to, or, or you did, you know, you're going to write a book. Um. And, and I think that, you know, myself included, we, we're going to have to start, you know, thinking differently. I mean, we've got a colleague right now, who's got a, uh, Museum exhibit, and you know, we brought in two external reviewers from museum studies to go over and and evaluate that. And mm-hmm. you know, ten years ago, that wouldn't have been done. Um, yeah. So yeah, things are changing.
1: They are. Uh, they're changing, and I think you know, one of the the I don't want to say the, the the upside, but one of the consequences of it being so difficult to get the tenure track jobs, as you know. So many departments are emphasizing public history. Yeah, um, as an alternative route. And I think that that is really important in kind of changing and, and opening up a space for people at the faculty faculty level to um, think beyond just the monograph. So there are good reasons at Virginia Tech uh, in, on the tech side and computer science to make that change. But I think that we are no different from other departments who are, you know, facing the difficulties of the job market. And... Like all the pieces are out there. Like when we, when the the executive committee or department started to to work on the guidelines, like it was like it was all there. You just needed a department to take the plunge, right, and put it in the guidelines uh, that this is acceptable. This is a large project. Is this the you know the same can make the same research contribution as as a monograph and. So I, I think so um, with this project, and I have faith that, that the external reviewers will, will agree. And, and I've published other stuff as well, so it's not like right. I'm just relying on the, yeah. on the project.
2: All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break.
0: Hey, everyone. Military Historians and People too wants to push two important things with our listeners. First, we don't get any compensation from the University Press of Kansas. The wonderful folks out there in Lawrence kindly promote our podcast on their social media feeds, and we're really grateful for that. In return, we encourage you to check out the University Press of Kansas and its great list, including many military history titles and series such as Modern War Studies, which I am honored to serve as series editor. But we don't wanna just push the University Press of Kansas. Brian and I encourage you to check out the amazing books and journals offered by the university press community. Whether it's North Carolina, Texas A&M, Cornell, NYU, Cambridge, Oxford, whatever, visit their websites, check out the wonderful scholarship these and other presses produce each year. If you see something you like, if you can buy it directly from the press website, all the better. And in that same vein as a non-monetized podcast, we rely on our listeners to help us get the word out about military historians or people too. So please retweet, repost, share on all your social media feeds, our podcast and pods like Bow & Blade, Khaki Malarkey, Peel.news, and any others that you listen to. You are such an important part of all of us reaching our listeners. So thank you for your support. Please share us, keep listening, and enjoy today's show.
1: I felt so fortunate to have them on the advisory board and, you know, they wrote a couple of the essays. There. Yeah. They
0: wrote great essay. All of those essays are, are really good. I mean, they're just really good overview introductory, right? Yeah. It, it, was, job.
1: The, it was a a lot of work um, that I didn't fully appreciate at the outset. Cause I, there was a, a digital project that had been reviewed before I submitted my implementation. And one of the, criticisms of that project, I won't name it, is that there's no context. It's basically just a database of, of sources. And uh, so I was like, I'm not going to make that mistake, or I'm, I'm, I think it's important to have context. And, you it, know, it, I was really pretty easy to get the historians who are amazing uh, to contribute essays, because they, you know, when they learned about the project and saw the sources, they're like, yeah, I want to be part oh, yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I was really fortunate to to have them and and I'm really glad that we have the those essays because I, you know, it even though there are lots of people who come to the site who know about World War II, you if we're gonna have students using the sources, they need to have some context and to have it right there is right. terrific, I think. No, it was brilliant of you to
0: create those lesson plan things. You know that was just—I'm sure it was a no-brainer—but that just really helps the uninitiated. Just get, gives it gives them a place to hang their hat, you know, as they get yeah. into it. And that's important.
1: Yeah, and the and the NEH, uh, you know, the funder. I I mentioned I had been on a review panel during my planning year, which was super important, and and it was really clear to me that. It you know it's a priority for the NEH to to reach out right. to to K twelve, and uh, so that's one of the reasons I was like we you know we should incorporate this into the project, and uh, it was a lot of work, but I'm glad that we that we did it. I mean, yeah. The one the one thing that we did run into and we did make some adjustment was, um, and they're uncensored. Well, and- okay,
0: don't don't stop. That's what I want to ask you about. Okay, (laughs) don't go too far.
1: Um, We had to to navigate that.
0: Yeah. um, Real quick, though. So, was everything, all that stuff, on microfilm, or was it all? It was all on microfilm. That's amazing. That was microfilmed.
1: It was. uh, You know, I, I have not been able to find any documentation to 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 explain why they preserved what they preserved. Yeah. Um, so I knew that um, there was a, an interest in, in that transition. So these were microfilm, uh, microfilmed in 1947. That was a year before they, uh, they effectively uh, desegregated the military before Truman's executive order. And that was in process. So that made sense to me. Um, and I knew that there was an interest in um, psychiatry. And with, and also in the air force. So there were certain topics, but like I don't know who made the decision to preserve them because so many of the records were destroyed.
0: Oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad that they did. So the, you know, so what they did was um, they removed the last page of the survey that had the free responses, the handwritten responses and all the rest of the survey was discarded. Um, So we don't have, I have not seen one completed handwritten survey where I have the handwritten portion as well as the the marks on the page from a soldier. Uh, So what happened was when they separated these pages, all the the rest of the survey, the multiple choice questions, those were all coded and put on, uh, transferred to, IBM cards, and this was during the war t- in order to, to process them. And those were copied, um, but even those were copied, not by the army uh, or not, it wasn't initiated by the army. So the people, Samuel Stouffer who was, who headed up the research effort more or less and Carl Hoagland at Yale, they got copies made of uh, probably about a million IBM cards because they had gotten funding from Carnegie who, who had originally funded the research and uh, they, they knew that they wanted to reprocess because they had made promises to the, the, the rising social behavioral scientists on the, who worked for the research branch. You can't publish now, but afterward you can. Okay, so they made those copies, but the original IBM cards, as far as I know, they were all destroyed. And it's just because they made these copies um, and they ended up making their way to the Roper Center. So when Sam Stokford died, he had all these cards, they were were donated Um, and one thing led to another that they did make their way down to the National Archives eventually because of the Army Research Institute in the 70s. so easily could have all this been destroyed yeah, could have been gone they so do you have gone. a do
0: you have a set of, of the micro the reels
1: i don't have a physical set because I, I can't have the <laughs> so they would do di- you know the national archives uh digitized but um, because there's only the original reels uh i mean it would be amazing to to be able to own one but i i just have the I mean, I'm sure
0: I, I can't imagine how many rolls there would be. My gosh, it
1: must be huge. Well, it's not it's because not. of how many, there was only 44 microfilm rolls. Oh, wow. Yeah. It fit into, I think it was either two or four microfilm boxes. Yeah. It is like surprisingly compact, but because you could fit on a reel 15, 1,600 pages. And so that's, um, huh. so it's easy to overlook. So lots of the records got uh, destroyed. There have been intimations. I have come across references where some of the original IBM cards were preserved in Europe, but nobody knows where they are. They could be in the bowels of the National Archives. And, and I've tried and tried and tried to get something original because everything is essentially a copy. Wow. Huh. Yeah.
0: Well, look, I'm going to ask you a question then and and uh, Brian, I get the impression that Ed needs a little more snark in his life. Um, so so did you intentionally go out, you know, go out of your way to destroy the greatest generation mythology or was just just this, this kind of an offshoot? So oh. you you I mean, you kind of walked into a little bit of a buzzsaw intentionally or no? But did you have a sense earlier that mm-hmm. the stuff in there might, you know, rub Rub some, uh, I don't know, traditionalists the wrong way.
1: Uh, and yeah. How did,
0: you, how did you deal with all that? Because I'm sure you got some good
1: trolling. I got. It, I only got maybe three hate emails. Um, no threats. I mean, I was a little disappointed I did get more. Are you hoping for emails? more? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, with because of the way that I engage with the public and through the students and the transcribers, uh. There, I had no idea of what was coming because for me, I knew that they were uncensored and that's attractive. Right. But from my perspective, the what makes the collection amazing is the its breadth. I mean, it covers everything, and so there was just a portion that got distilled uh, in that infamous article in the Washington Post. Right. Right. And uh, so, essentially, what happened was, uh, you know, the NA- the NEH has been amazing for the project. Um, I I connected with their communications uh, team there, and they put me in touch with the uh, the writer of that that article. And uh, essentially, we had one interview, a conversation, and he loved that it was uncensored. Uh, he found all those particular sources in the collection oh, I did not I did not feed him. I told him that there were a couple of areas that uh, he he should take a look at or might find interesting uh, the, the one about segre- the the surveys about segregation. I mean I'm thinking primarily about the African-American perspective, but I did tell him one of the things that, Absolutely unique about the collection is that not only do we know about what black soldiers thought about segregation we also know what white soldiers felt about it so I alerted him to that and then I told him on uh, th- about the surveys on women and uh, and th- those I knew that anybody who reads that part of the collection will be surprised by the misogyny and the the views of the soldiers about women yeah. So that was a little bit more expected. So there were a, a number of really quick emails back and forth at, once he got approval to do the article and he was just really fascinated and engaged, but I did not see the final article before he sent me the link. <laughs> and uh, so it, when it went live, I, I, you know, because it was in the Washington Post, I lit the community know, uh, the online community and uh, put it on Twitter and everything. And it just, it exploded immediately. And I didn't even know how much it exploded until somebody over Twitter like, do you know what's happening? Because the the Washington Post doesn't, and intentionally I learned, doesn't put a link to the site. And when they tweeted out um, the article about it, they, they didn't put my name or my handle in there. So there was lots of stuff happening. That I didn't know until somebody was like, do you know what's going on here? Uh, I was like, oh my God. And then, you know, really quickly, Fox News picked it up. And Hooray. Um, Newsmax. Hooray. So the, the funny thing is, I'm outing my, my family a little bit here. But um, so my sons, they know about the project. They've been following it. Um, you know, they, they, they know a little bit about it. But when I got so much respect from one of my sons when he found out that Fox News was attacking yes. the project, he was like, "Yes,
0: that's awesome. That <laughs> is awesome. awesome."
1: I was like, "After everything I do- I've done, this is what it took for you to have respect for your father." <laughs> uh, that's great. Oh my gosh, it was so. It was so funny. Wow. But, but I, you know, I. I knew it was gonna be just, a I, I felt pretty confident it was just gonna be a blip. Um, and I was so confident about the, the original intention. I mean, this is about preserving this history. It is definitely not about canceling it. So anybody who spends any time on the site will recognize that it's, it is all about the memory and the experience of these soldiers. So yeah. I was able to just bracket, I was like, we're just going to ride this out, and um, you know, hopefully, it dies pretty quickly. And and it
0: and it did, yeah, you yeah. know. Well, Ed, the the way I had the thing set up in my my Warren Society class, they they weren't going to get to it until the second half of the semester, and right. you know, but the stuff was already up, and they were kind of playing around with it here and there, but then the 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 Wapo article came out, yeah, and and so I shot it to all of my students. And then in class, suddenly, a lot of questions. They were all over. (laughs) And and before long, uh, one of the students is looking at the mental health and, uh, you know, he's interested, you know, the, the VD rates and things like that. Okay. And he was so funny. He goes, well, it seems like only enlisted personnel got VD. Officers apparently didn't get it. (laughs) <laughs> See, he was joking you know because in the, yeah. in the servant material the officers of course don't even admit right uh-huh. yeah. because the enlisted guys are like oh yeah i got it three times i got you know, i had to get the shots <laughs> oh my gosh like that. that's so there's fun. such good stuff in it but that's that's really remarkable how that that just stormed up on you
1: like that it did yeah. and i think to be fair to, to to michael in the article i mean i did have some inclination of of the knowing the full range, like I said about the surveys about women, um, I mean I I remember a couple of encounters with my students. I think one of my students had alerted me to some of the anti-Semitism, like r- there was one soldier who said, "Oh, we should we should have teamed up with Germany." Yeah, and so but that you know that's just like one here and there. But to see it distilled, you're like, whoa. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so is that uh, when you put up the disclaimer on the website? No,
1: or was that I, already there? I don't remember. That was a that was an intensive process of putting that disclaimer up there. Uh, I mean, I I knew you know these are uncensored. I even before we had it all transcribed, I had read enough to know uh, that this was really delicate. Uh, you know what happened was um, you know like everybody, I followed Black Lives Matter and in the protest. And uh, knew that I had to address this, particularly because of the, the use of not only derogatory terms, but the use of Negro. Uh, you know, at the time that term was used by the government, and I was just so committed that you know we are going to preserve the original documents. And because the term Negro appears across these surveys, I just had to deal with it. So, um, I worked with an archivist here, and the the advisory board, Beth, everybody kind of weighed in because I thought we I need I need uh, to have the support and the backing, and there was a lot of attention to the language, and in the end, um, you know, just said these this is what they wrote. I mean, this is, these are their views, and it's important to preserve that memory. We're aware. Um, of, of, you know, we're respectful of people's uh, their reaction and their opinions and, and the, the context in which we live. Uh, but if we want to understand racial inequality in our own day, we've got to face it in our history. And, um, you know, it just goes with, I mean, th- this is a, a pivot point for the civil rights movement, the 1940s. Right, the experience of these soldiers. I mean, the literature. We know what the literature says that so many of the veterans came back home and became part of the civil rights movement and contributed to it. So, not to address it just seemed like it would have been a dereliction of of duty as a historian. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I think and the, the work you've done with this American Soldier in World War II project and the. Uh, uh, Equal Justice Initiative project, you know, from the memorial in Montgomery, Alabama, those Mm -hmm. reports and the way they have digitized uh, that information, uh, Mm -hmm. especially the one on the lynching of veterans. Mm -hmm. Um, Those two projects, to me, have just opened up a whole new door for war and society, military history studies, you know, of the American experience.
1: I, it's both combined, it's remarkable. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I, I. so I went to Rutgers, which has an amazing African-American history program, but I, I didn't come in through that way. And I'm sensitive to the politics of even white historians writing about, about race. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working on this book right now with some trepidation, but um, I do think that the, that the collection, when it's mined, and whether I, you know, I'm going to write stuff, other people are going to write stuff, will change the way that we think about about the war and about the civil rights movement. Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm working with a couple of data scientists right now, ex- expanding on a project, looking at 1943 and 1944, really important years, uh, because we know about the race riots, uh, the rebellion in 19 in that summer of 43. You know, when we think about the uh, massive resistance, we think of Brown versus Board of Education. We think about that happening uh, in the mid 50s after the legislation. But what I've learned from the collection myself is that that massive resistance starts during the war. So the army starts to desegregate certain spaces and there is significant resistance and so, lots of African Americans respond to that resistance. So there's great literature now about kind of white lash, white backlash, and um, you know, unfortunately, but it's the history. You see that during World War II. So I think that it kind of it opens up a new way of thinking about the role of the veteran and you know what happens in those critical just a couple of years, particularly in 1943 and 1944, explaining so. The surveys, and there's a direct connection here to the civil rights movement, you know, from the, the site. Um, the surveys were used in the deliberations over the 1948 executive order desegregating effectively. Right. Prior time. Right. And then Brown versus Board of Ag- Education, a couple of the researchers contributed to that case. Uh, so I think that's my, I, I, I think that that's gonna happen, but I think it will have impacts beyond the way we think about the civil rights movement
2: um so the, you know of course i can't plug a uh, uh ethernet cable into my mac because i don't have the adapter here with me so uh, <laughs> had to, uh but you know you said you're working on this book with some trepidation uh you know talk to us a little bit about the uh the book you're you're working on
1: yeah uh so the book that i'm working on is uh, Looks at segregation from the beginning of the war to the end and the evolution, because a lot of the time, uh, you know, histories of the Black experience kind of look at World War II as a block. Yeah. Whereas what I've seen is an evolution, and uh, so the the early on when the research branch started doing surveys, Black soldiers weren't even included, and in fact, some of the early survey results of white soldiers about segregation, showing that the majority wanted um, segregation to continue in all of its form, was used by the research branch of the army to support the segregation policy. And so what I'm curious is like, how do we get from that, that point early in the war in the first couple of years t- to the end um, where you do see an evolution, it becomes clear to to people who are involved in the program, uh, based on the response from Black Americans, that this is untenable. Like something is going to break here. It something needs to change. And there's a really important study uh, in the last year of the war because of the issue of replacements. As you, I'm sure you know, many people in the audience, um, there was an experiment in Europe of integrating black platoons into white companies. So the research branch studied that and showed that not only did white officers and soldiers uh, respond and say that the the black volunteer soldiers had performed admirably, but but that race relations improved. And that was uh, really explosive. And and the reporting on that was originally kept quiet uh, because this was the basically the evidence for ammunition that black leaders needed to show that decades of common wisdom in the the military of black soldiers was undermined by a program that had been instrumental in the war effort because these surveys were used for the point score system and for mental health, I mean, in a number of ways. And I think that 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 moment, I mean, looking at that trajectory is, is the kind of the key in many ways to the civil rights movement without you know and wax are involved it's not just men and soldiers but i think so that's what i'm i'm interested in is both highlighting the the responses for black and white soldiers to show you know both sides um and kind of the white resistance but ultimately about this transition over the wartime period
2: yeah i'm sure you're gonna have a hard time finding someone to publish that one
0: (laughs) Uh, well, I, I, I know, I know of a series that might be intriguing. But I just, you know,
1: not... Well, you, you, I don't know. You haven't had Tom Guglielmo on yet, have you? Mm-mm. So his book just came out in December, A Divisions, which is like massive. It's and it's just a catalog of just you know of, of the struggle during the war, and I'm like, after like, what what more is there to to write? And, uh, uh, but he was in the advisory board and I'm just gonna have to lean on him and say, do you think I could do this? <laughs> uh, but it's, it's I'm, I'm really invested in the project. I mean, I wanna do it myself before another historian, like if another historian writes a book about this part of the collection before I, I'm able to, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be so angry. i would be like, <laughs> I've been like working on this project for 12 years. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. Somebody
2: came in and reverse engineered you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no
0: yeah. telling what's going to come out of it with between the the mental health part, um, the gender part. I I just think there's other things too that are going to as, as people get into this and researchers start exploring it, are going to find some really good, some good things that are gonna challenge some assumptions we have, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I think so, right. I mean, the the survey results about what soldiers thought about like Japanese soldiers and Russian soldiers. I mean, uh, that's really fascinating. I mean, we know a lot about that kind of the, the attempts to instill hatred of the Japanese. And it was really unclear how successful that was in the beginning. Um, so there are like lots of different facets that I think challenge conventional wisdom about about the soldier's experience. Um, yeah. So, I it's just a it's a gold mine. It's just yeah. a gold.
0: Mine. Have you seen Elizabeth Samet's book?
1: Yeah. So that book came out I think within week maybe weeks yeah. so, or days before the the Washington Post article right. and people were referencing it. I I have it now. I haven't about read.
0: halfway through it. And it's, it's really interesting.
1: Yeah. It, oh, I no doubt. Uh, yeah. from what I know about it, it's going to be interesting. I might try to like do a review or something, but I think the combination of, you know, that book coming out when it did with a, the project, um, you know, they speak to each other. And, yeah. And, yeah, for sure. for sure. yeah.
2: All right. Uh, should we do rapid fire?
0: Yeah, let's do some rapid fire. Okay. All right. Ed. 10 questions. Yeah. Ryan will ask two. I'll ask two. Oh no. And, and you have to respond quickly, truthfully. Uh, any pauses to show extra thought that you don't know will be kept in so that we'll reveal to our listeners that you struggled.
1: Okay. Um, so if there are anything about popular, <laughs> life, about sports, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna embarrass myself. But, uh, well, well yeah. looks like you
0: might have an opportunity. Um, <laughs> yeah, you might, you might. So yeah. So uh, Brian, you, you go ahead.
2: All right, here we go. Best work of history you've read recently.
1: The the best work of history that I've, I've read recently. I would say, um, oh my good. Um, so I've returned to the, at the dark end of the street by a good friend of mine, uh, um, Danielle McGuire. It is an amazing book. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I'm working my, through, she just does amazing things in that book um God's of the upper air I think is a beautiful book I mean I could keep going uh yes
2: well we're gonna get you to keep going with your best non-history book that
1: you've read recently
2: so what no, are, see, I read for pleasure
1: I, I try to read for pleasure but there's so much because I'm involved in different fields the stack of books is is really high I but it's not in my I I'm not a big fiction person. My wife is, I'm, I'm going to let everyone down. So anything I,
0: that you've read though, not yeah, related? Yeah, to what you do?
1: No, <laughs> I need really to get out more.
0: He needs to tired. get out more. What's,
2: <laughs> what's, your son, what's your son reading?
1: My son is reading. Okay, so I mean, they do YouTube all of the time. Yeah. They're yeah. really, so my oldest is really into birds. And so he's on eBird constantly tracking yeah. birds across the country and my younger son is obsessed with history so he is constantly there's just so much amazing you know materials you know on youtube for historians and he just he's regurgitating all the time facts that are just so obscure hey Uh,
0: lego lego history on youtube that that's a rabbit hole you can go down really deep it's really fun (laughs)
1: I've oh, I've seen some of those uh those videos. I've been I I was tempted to use them in my World War II class. I've not done that yet. I used
0: one in my War and Society class on the on the Battle of the Thome. It It's great. It, was <laughs> and awesome. it went over well. Yeah. yeah. I mean they loved it. They were just like, okay, wait a minute. But yeah, yes. they, you know, it's like, okay, this makes sense. So okay. I, I should take yeah.
1: the plunge and, and integrate yeah. myself.
0: Yes. But I think the kids kids would enjoy it as well.
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh what are you guys binge watching?
1: Binge watching, uh, binge watching. Okay, so we just finished Bridgerton. Yeah. So we love, we really love, my wife and I, um, uh, uh, crime dramas from the UK. There's yeah. like a never yeah. ending screen. We just go right. from like one to the other. Um, and when we're back on one, Cardinal, which is a series, it's based in Canada, not in the UK. So we've watched crime dramas usually but I, I with my wife we we did watch uh Bridget, yeah nice
2: yeah my wife is uh is watching season two right now okay yeah i i looked over the couch the other night and uh i saw the uh, i won't spoil it for anyone but i saw the wedding debacle take place <laughs> so, yeah
1: well for me as the historian like i'm as a cultural historian i'm comparing that to um gilded age because my wife and i that and um yeah, so I, I will admit that we did recently. I don't know if we, I mean, we we watched one a night. We didn't, we may have watched more than one in a night. <laughs> I'll admit it.
0: That's all right. We'll 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 accept that without too much comment. Okay. That's all right. Uh, what's your uh, latest music download or what do you like listening to?
1: Oh, I, oh God, I'm really, embarrassed. I use Spotify. I do. Okay. Yeah. I, I just like the, the electronic background music. I love to stimulate. Um, but that, that is a, that is about it. I'm so, I'm, I'm really boring.
0: What do you listen oh, to your car? I mean, you guys go to concerts. I mean, what do you, what do you go if you go? go no, okay. On? So
1: my, my wife is far more interesting. Uh, she loves. That's often the case. Yeah, I mean, we,
0: we case, admit, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we fully. Embrace so
1: that. I tease her all the time because, uh, so I came of age in the 80s, 90s, and so did she. She loves 90s music, so Tears for Fears. Yeah. Um, she loves, like, the new album, which is real. Okay, so Tears for Fears, their new album is inspired. It's just, it's yeah. really, really, good. Um, so there we go. I've got something.
0: No, I told Beth Bailey, my, my XM radio in my car is automatically set to XM radio, or to uh, uh, First Wave.
1: Okay. okay yes. so you understand. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, the yeah. Smiths, all that stuff, all, all in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very cool.
2: All right. So you said that when you started this digital history thing, you were not a digital history guy. So for those of us who are in that position, what is the starter book on
1: digital history we should all pick up? I don't think that there is one. Um, you know, I mean, there are, but they're written, so many of them are written for practitioners. My best advice. Is based on my experience is interpersonal, like find somebody who's doing it and talk to them and they make yeah. the, the connections. Um, that's the way that I would do it. I mean, I think that it's really it's it's difficult to crack if you're because there's there's so much breadth now in digital history. It can be so overwhelming easily that um, yeah. I, and I yeah I read stuff but. Um, I get what I need. There's some online primers, but I, I don't know that I would recommend that as the jumping off
0: point. What's someone. your sense of how, how rapidly that field evolves? In other words, you write something, it's probably dated.
1: It, it, no. It, no, I mean, I don't know that it's dated because there. I think that you know, there are themes. Uh, so I'm working right now with some data scientists on the, on the problem of bias. And they're, but it it is so remarkably broad. Um, You know, there, it was a couple of years ago, Jill Lepore said some really negative things about digital history and I was really angry because I was like, you have have no idea how rich and broad digital history is right now. A good example is that they just had um, the digital history awards and it's my popular vote and you go through the projects and, and ours was on it and if you just look at those projects and the diversity and richness it just kind of blows your mind uh so the, it's just it's it's a juggernaut it's going to just keep Is
0: that what brian remember that one Lori and foote was yeah. involved with about yeah. tracking the uh union uh, pow's and their yeah, state routes escape routes and everything routes and, it's yeah, fascinating and, it's and, fascinating. and it's our really colleague
2: cool. uh bob bachelor uh, was on Bob won one of those awards for his part in some thing I'm embarrassed to say sorry Bob I know you're listening um, that, well, one um, of the, this is an example so
1: for, even for me so I've talked about some of the scholarship I'm working with another group here on using virtual reality for a museum exhibit using the sources and so that's really fun for me and that's digital history so it's like a it's it's a wide wide open world and um, I'm having a lot of fun.
2: All right. Next question takes you back to your former life. John Calvin or Martin Luther?
1: Oh, I got to go with Luther.
0: Yeah,
2: that's I'd go that way. And I mean, you know, that's that's fair. Don't don't worry, Ed.
0: We don't use the video on this.
1: (laughs) I am. I'm not a I'm not a Calvinist.
0: All right. All right. Uh, this has to do with your uh, local area there, at Blacksburg. Uh, what is a hokey?
1: It is an imaginary creature, kind of like a turkey. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't understand because it doesn't. It's not like it's a mythical creature that people have like. You have all these stories and lore around. No, it's basically. It's just a mascot that looks kind of like a turkey and that's the end of the story. It's just like if you're gonna like make up an animal, like build up a lore, like tell stories, yeah. it'd be a little like more- a, It's like now. Sasquatch with, with feathers, right? <laughs> exactly. I have not heard any, there's no lore, there's nothing, it's just like basically, you know, college students a century ago came up with this idea and and that's what we've got. It's really disappointing.
0: That is it's like at Kansas, nobody knows what a Jayhawk is, right? The Jayhawker, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, dogs or cats? Oh, dogs. Yeah. What do yes. you have? What do you guys have?
1: We don't have one, but we've done lots of research because we have uh, allergy issues in our family. Oh, yeah. I and I'm not a big poodle person. Um, hey,
0: hey, hey! hey. Uh, port- oh. Portuguese uh, Portuguese water dog. That's what people have told us. Yeah. By, okay. By, so uh, I, my, my sister and her husband have one because he's got allergies. Yeah.
2: Okay. For a, a little to dog. Havanese are really hypoallergenic. They're
1: little dogs, though. Okay. I like them, like the medium size. Of, so we've talked a lot about it during the pandemic. We only got one, almost got one. Um, this summer, we're going to do like a massive road trip across the country. So maybe after we do that, we'll finally take yeah. the plunge. Yeah. Um, because I, I had dogs growing up, mutts, and I'm just like, the boys have i mean i have two boys and uh so but not at this point
2: no all no. right you uh you you gave us a little uh, little taste of what the answer to this one's going to be um mac or windows oh mac yeah all right there I come I on so, yeah. like
1: <laughs> well i i know i know windows i used them for a while uh i started using a mac at university of michigan like the you know the original classic oh, Mac. Yeah. yep we, that's what I grew up with, and I I don't understand why someone would be Windows. I'm. This is going to make I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there there have been a few times where like I've had to do something on a Windows computer, and I get so mad. I'm just like, why? Yeah. Why?
2: yeah. <laughs> our, all of our uh, our computer stations uh, in the rooms where we teach here are Windows, and when I go there, I say to the students, I'm like, how do you do this on Windows? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the longest time I could easily do things on windows, but now, and I, and I use it as a critique. I was like, it's just, you know, why can't I do this? Yeah. Yeah.
2: All right. Last one. And uh, this is the last question we ask everyone. Uh, Bill is from Texas. I am from South Carolina. We have um, uh, different ideas about barbecue. And so first, first part of the question, yeah. Barbecue pork or brisket.
1: Oh, like, I, I love both. Um, I feel I need to say pork.
2: Okay. I think you made the right call.
1: Ah, that was the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. All uh, right.
2: And if if we're passing through Blacksburg, where, where are we going for barbecue?
1: Um, if you're from Texas, if you're from barbecue capitals, I can't. Oh wow! Wow, really? Yeah, there. Um, no, I can't. In good conscience, I can't even. I can't lie because I, I miss. So I have family that lives in Texas. Um, I lived in Missouri, so we're close to Kansas City. I lived in Chicago. I, you know, spent time in North Carolina. I, I. It's one of those things that kind of brings tears to my eyes. I, I wish that we had more barbecue here and I'm going to offend people, but I'm sorry. Like if you,
2: yeah. So last question, this is not one of the questions, but uh, when my wife and I used to drive to see her family in Connecticut, when we were coming from South Carolina, we would often uh, stay around Blacksburg and there was a diner downtown Blacksburg that we used to always stop and, and eat at. Is that still down there?
1: Yes. Okay. It,
2: like it's a little, little, yeah, t- little hole in the wall, tiny little place.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I've only been there one time for like coffee and, and breakfast with a couple of, of the old timers who, um, in the, uh, who led the, the cadets in the core, um, who took me there. We went, we met early in the morning, uh, you know, a constant refilling of coffee, yeah, yeah, but it's so it's like really small. I, yeah, it's I, tiny. Yeah, yeah, it's tiny. It's still there. Okay, good to hear. Good to hear. Cool.
2: Yeah. Well, we uh, we cannot thank you enough. This has been great, and um, we we really appreciate it, and we appreciate the work that you've done. Um, it, it really is is making history accessible for our students, for the general population, and uh, I think you've you've taught us all a lot about uh, how we can kind of expand. In, in our own work and start looking at these other possibilities.
0: And, uh, and I think you'll get tenure. Yeah. I think you'll be okay.
1: <laughs> think you'll be okay. I think you'll be all right. Uh, yeah. I think I'm going to be okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, I appreciate the opportunity. I, I don't know. I think the rapid fire part at the end was the most stressful. <laughs> 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 no, no. I, I love talking about the project and I appreciate the opportunity uh, to talk about it.
2: All right. Well, it sounds cool. like you need to, uh, you need to learn how to smoke ribs,
1: uh since you're in the barbecue oh, desert there but uh so <laughs> I, my son um is obsessed with barbecue so youtube everything is on youtube i think he's yep. there's a brazilian chef who has a series about his his exploits with meat. my so my oldest for a short period I love that, his YouTube. exploits with meat <laughs> <laughs> <That's all right. laughs> Um, Oh, it's just amazing, so for a while my son was a vegetarian and I was like, this is not going to stick because he loves bacon, Um, but he's a teenager and eats constantly and uh, he watches video after video of all of the different ways that you can barbecue and extract as much flavor as you can out of meat. Uh, so on a road trip, I am confident we were gonna eat so much barbecue as we cross the the, the south. That's awesome. So he All needs right. to
0: watch uh Aaron Franklin's masterclass.
1: Yeah, that's good. Okay.
0: Yeah, watch Aaron Aaron Franklin's masterclass on barbecue. You okay. know he's the big Austin guy. Um, um yeah. yeah so what's, you, what's your
1: what's your favorite?
0: What's your favorite barbecue? Um, and like when, when I when I'm at home and Texas wherever my you know my mom my sisters all live around Austin uh, there's kind of a chain convenience store thing called Rudy's
1: oh yeah yeah yeah
0: and it's consistent wherever you're at it's good just good solid stuff um, um, I used to go to the Salt Lake all the time and we'd go down there because my mom lived near Wimberley and but it's gotten so big and commercial it's kind of yeah. lost its way a little bit I
1: think it has. I think it's even the airport. We we yeah. my, my family lives in Austin and around Austin. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Where we're at? Where around?
1: So I I had a brother who he's in Seattle right now, but he lived in Round Rock. Okay. And then my other brother, who's lived there for a number of years, is just south of downtown. Um uh what is this community called? It's like maybe 15, 20 miles uh minutes. Uh, Southwest of of downtown. So
0: Amy, Amy lives in Dripping Springs. Okay. Um, And my mom used to live in Wimberley, you know, more in the hill country. Yeah. She uh, lives out by Lake Travis at Steiner Ranch. And then uh, she's in Longhorn Village, the retirement community there. And uh, my other sister, Beth, her and her husband live uh, um, near there as well. Uh, out there out there by like travis uh but there. yeah when i
1: started going first started going there in the 90s yeah. like keep austin weird made sense but now right. it's changed yeah. so much over the years yeah but south congress is fun
0: to walk around you know that area stuff so it's still it's still got a funky you know vibe to it
1: but it's, it's just, the nuts. traffic's
0: just insane it's just it's just nuts
1: it is nuts so but, we're going to go there in the summer which I'm not so sure about this. Um, so what I have family lives in Wisconsin. And one year, we made the mistake of going to Wisconsin for Christmas. And we're like, no, 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 no. We're doing this all wrong. <laughs> He's doing it backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doing it backwards. So what we do is we do Milwaukee in the summer and then Austin uh, around Christmas time or the holidays. So I'm a little nervous about going there in the summer.
0: So what, where, where are you going on your road trip?
1: So we we've done a number of road trips to Austin or a few road right. trips. And, and we'll go, we'll hug the, the Gulf uh, of Mexico. You know, there's great birding, and, and we go to New Orleans. But we're actually going to go to the panhandle, which we've done once. Th- I'm going to visit uh, Kurt and his family in uh, Tallahassee. Okay. Go through Atlanta, and then we are going to make our way all the way south and do you know, New Orleans, uh, New Orleans, and then Austin. And if you know anything about birding, uh, this, this the Southwest, particularly in Arizona and um, New Mexico, really close to the Mexican border, has like yeah. most of the most. Yeah. So we're going to go there. I have family in San Diego, so we'll go to San Diego. What the um, hell of a trip! <laughs> we're our ca- I know our car is going to die. It's just going <laughs> to die. We'll go up to LA through Kansas, Springfield, up to Wisconsin, and then the northern. Peninsula of Michigan, all the way down. Wow! Oh, the Upers.
0: Uh, wow! I'm nice. from
1: Northern, uh, really close to the, you know, UPS. Yeah. Well, if
0: you cut, if you happen to pass through, you know, South Carolina, Georgia, you'll let us sure. know. Yeah, we're, we're around. We're around. You're, I mean, you're more. We live in Spartanburg. More than welcome. Uh, yeah. Okay. So straight south of Asheville.
2: Around. If you, um, if you're gonna stop in Savannah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm right there.
0: Yeah. Okay. 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 Um, Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, uh, real quick, I, 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 my first job was at St. Francis College in Fort Wayne. And um, of course, I went to grad school in Bowling Green. And I spent a lot of time uh, camping, hiking, uh, canoeing. I think it was the Platte, Platte River. Up there uh-huh. by kind of sleeping bear you know around that area uh-huh um yeah traverse city i was i was up there a lot i just thought the country was beautiful I just oh my be gosh beautiful. like to but travel I came from east texas you know it's just a completely nice. different world
1: for me and, and so was, i grew up going to the yeah. beach all the time on lake michigan and yeah. took it for granted um we went back up to that part because my family had never seen northern michigan and they 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 all felt oh, it was beautiful yeah yeah. just it is just beautiful up there so we're we're adding that to the trip it's gonna be crazy but you know uh they're at the age where very cool you know it's during this little this little window yeah
0: yeah wow well look man. i know you, i know you're busy we gotta, you gotta get going or something but yeah. uh, brian and i'll stay on for a little bit and we'll talk about how you botch some of the questions yeah <laughs>
2: Yeah. We'll um that will dissect but,
1: everything and uh
2: yeah but uh
1: um, yeah. like we thought he was gonna be part of the cool kids no no music no fiction <laughs> yeah the music thing's a little disappointing i
0: i i would i would have pegged you for some kind of yeah like americana you know um kind of a i don't know robert earl keen ish uh um something like that but
1: yeah. yeah, well, I mean, the, the there's great roots music around here. Yeah, you no, know, but the, you know, it's it's all just local stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That's all right. That's all right. We won't <laughs>
0: hold it against you. By any means, this was. Ed, this is. Thanks hey, so much. Great. This is. Yeah. This you. is exactly what we're doing. Want to do with this thing? Yep. It's just get to know who you are and and why you do what you do. Yeah. Right? I mean, and that's, that's, that's what this is about. So that was our crazy idea.
1: So. Well, I think it's, I think it's yeah. a great, great idea. I, I appreciate you inviting me in yeah. and I will, I'm going to watch some more of the other, listen to some of the others.
2: When you go on that, uh, that car trip, you got lots of
1: podcasts to listen to. Yes. Well, so they, I did mention the, the one, the youngest, both of them love military history. Yeah. Uh, they both do, and uh, so they'll be fine if we if we listen. I don't know if my wife will be into it, but the, <laughs> my boys will both. She might be surprised. Yeah,
0: you might be surprised.
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: there's there's not a lot of guns and drums in this thing, really.
1: <laughs> yeah. When you get right well, down, it's that. war in society, so I I know we're yeah. In,
0: it's we're a little. Bigger. It's you know, there's a mix, but it. it we don't really get into that you know it doesn't it, it's more about you know why did brian get interested in german pow's right yeah. And why does he think that's important what else does he want to do right and yeah. that he came from upstate south carolina and for some reason he likes pork barbecue it's hard to live here it's like, i have a big green egg that's what you need for your kids get a big green egg and they can yeah. smoke all sorts of things to their
1: heart's content <sighs> yeah yes i know about the great i mean they're everywhere now I had friends who were—they were in the front end. Oh yeah, be on the front. My
0: dad was on the front end. Yeah, (laughs) my brother-in-law too. Yeah, Um, but but Uh, yeah, you can do some cool stuff with that meat exploits. I love it. Yeah,
1: yes, that that needs to be a
0: t-shirt. That's yeah.
1: me hungry right now. I wish I had some barbecue to go get right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, (laughs) man. We appreciate it. Um, it. it. Thank
1: Thank you so much.
0: Wow. So how do you go from that, that track of life I of, you know, ministry, different things, engineering, whatever, really not even interested in military history, per se, intellectual, right. cultural history. But then you figure out that the answers lie in the World War II soldier experience.
2: Yeah. And, you know, that's a uh, just evidence that that, you know, people that you wouldn't typically associate with military history, have the ability to uh, to to really do some important stuff um, with the military, because, you know, Ed's interested in race relations. He's he's looking at segregation, but uh, it's teaching us a tremendous amount about how these soldiers um, viewed their own service. And, uh, you know, sometimes those truths are are a little ugly, but uh, we got to we got to look at the whole spectrum.
0: Yeah, it's just but but, but this thing—it's just remarkable. I, I really encourage, and we'll put a link up in the in the pod yeah. description to it. But if yeah, you if haven't you, played around with it, you need to, because right. you just get lost in it and find all sorts of fascinating things. And I guarantee you, scholars, graduate students, undergraduate students, just general public are all going to find things that will you will know, be something to sink their teeth into. We're going to see some scholarship come out of this.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really no are.
0: About it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going to be, it's going really going to be interesting, but.
2: And, and there's going to be more of these projects because, uh, you know, when you have something that's that successful, people are going to try to find a way to, to, to replicate that. So, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see a lot more of these kinds of projects, but, um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All
2: right. We still, we still got a good run going. Uh, haven't, haven't hit the dud and, nope. um, Let's keep trying to trying to get good people in here. As long as people are foolish enough to say yes
0: to our invitations, we will. Uh, right, I didn't realize there were so many suckers in our business, but I know. apparently there I know. are smart, it's, smart people. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> smart people who are agreeing, agreeing to hang out with us, man. Yeah, I, I, but but you know, uh, osmosis. I, I feel smarter. I know, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So. All right. Well, everybody, stay right. tuned. You can take touch. care.
2: Tell your friends. Military Historians Are People Too is produced, written, and hosted by Brian Feltman and Bill Allison. Music is written and performed by Bill Allison, who clearly is not B.J. Lederman. Military Historians Are People Too is hosted on Anchor by Spotify. Check back soon for new episodes. Thanks for listening.